<sighs> so do you know how I know I'm old? <laughs> how, how? Please tell me because I probably am too. Because I apparently sat down wrong yesterday and I have back pain like all night last night and all day today that I can't get rid of no matter what I do. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Not fun. No, it's the it's the best feeling. The best part of being old is just constant back pain for no reason at all. <laughs> <laughs> and we have so much like less room to hurt ourselves in these days too, since we're all at home. <laughs> I know. It's like I'm stuck at home. It's like I can only sit on the couch so many different ways and apparently I picked the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> So hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Conspiracies and Cryptids. Uh, this week, well last, not last week, last episode we had Dustin from Dustin Can Read podcast on the show. This week I've got my friend Eva Gross from Paranormal Captivity on our show today. Go ahead and say hi Eva and introduce yourself. Woo woo! <laughs> Thanks for having me, I'm so excited. Of course. So your podcast is kind of like a young adult um, fiction book podcast where you kind of review young adult novels, which is very similar to my friend Dustin's. Um, and you started out with the, the cat who novels and you read through all of those with your sister, right? You know, we're actually still, I think only halfway through the series. This woman was a very prolific writer. <laughs> well, I think I looked up and she wrote like what, 28 or 29 books or something like that in that series. Yeah. It's actually like 30. She went into oh my like God. a bit of like a, I think she like retired and then she wrote like three or four after that, like 10 years later. <laughs> so there's like this whole just, and we started breaking them up into like smaller chunks too. So right. like, we may never get through them. <laughs> 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 and then um let's see you're you're talking about currently like hang on I had it pulled up caught dead-handed yeah so that I could remember but I don't know anything about the caught dead-handed book or books yeah so there are more than one so yeah Julie and I took a bit of a hiatus and we are mm -hmm. slowly kind of clawing our way back in but right so the last we left off sort sort of like at the climax of Caught Dead Handed, and we were so into this book. It has great like <laughs> mystery, it has great romance, and then at the end, it just little spoiler alert for the episode that's like about to come out. But we like didn't really we finished it, but we were like, oh my gosh, this really took a turn that we were not expecting, <laughs> and we were like, it actually like goes into some weird like kind of anti trans, like not super like friendly and safe and we were like oh boy let's just move ourselves let's acknowledge this and say this and then move on move to more on. edifying things <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah yeah it's always weird how those things just kind of come out of left field like you don't see them coming and then it's like oh boy this just got problematic <laughs> yeah real fast like and in like you know the cozy mystery space where we were like we felt so safe for so long and now no more. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially with the cat who series, that's like a super safe series. You know, yes. it's like, and it's super cute. Like just listening to the episodes of you guys going through those books, listening to like, you know, Quillerin and his adventures with his cats. It's like, I, I love listening to them. It's so much fun. Oh, thank so. you so much. <laughs> 
So uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Um, every episode, we flip a penny for your thoughts where we decide who gets to go first. Uh, I'm going to let you get to decide if, whether you want heads or tails. Ooh, hi, I'm honored. Okay, I would like tails. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead. I actually found a shot glass because we usually flip it in like this special shot glass that Tess and I got on a trip we went on together, but she has it and I don't. So I had to find a different oh, novelty no. shot glass. <laughs> So let's see. It's heads. All you. God, I go first like every week. It's not even <laughs> funny. Like it was a joke at first that the penny always picks me. And mm. now it's just kind of getting ridiculous how often I go first. You guys but, should have like okay. a veto rule of like, you know, you get one <laughs> veto per month or something. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a not might that might not be a bad idea because it <laughs> There was like a two-month period where I went first every episode, and it was just like, oh, my gosh. But Yeah, sometimes you got to take fate in your own hands, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we did do that on, I think it was International Women's Day. Mm. Um, I, I, got, I won the, toy co- or the coin toss, and I was like, Tessa, you can go first. It's Women's Day. <laughs> so <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> Okay, so in my continuing attempt to find cryptids that I haven't heard of before, I decided to look up European cryptids because <gasps> I feel it. like a lot of the really well-known ones are kind of like in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I mean, outside of like the Loch Ness Monster or the Chupacabra, most of them are like U.S. cryptids. Bigfoot, Mothman, you know, Lizard Man. Those, like, those are all here, you know. Yeah. So I was like, well, let's find something different. And I came across this really interesting one from the UK and I knew within like the first sentence of reading the Wikipedia article that this was the one. Oh, so, you found the one, the, your cryptid true love. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. He's, he's something <laughs> like he's part cryptid part, um, like ghost, not really ghost story, but like urban legend and like part, oh. this could just be like, some creepy person or group of people, (laughs) (laughs) but it technically qualifies as a cryptid. So I'm talking about the cryptid known as spring heeled Jack. (gasps) I have heard the smallest bit of this. I know nothing. Really? Yeah. If you ask me anything about it, I would be like, I have no idea where I heard that before, but I know those words in that order. (laughs) Okay. Well, he was a very popular figure in, um, like, late 19th century um, and early 20th century, like folklore and penny dreadfuls and stuff like that. So possibly he might've been mentioned on the series penny dreadful. I don't know, but that's, I just thought of maybe, maybe he was on there, but maybe that's where you heard it. Yeah. But um, so spring heeled Jack is described as frightful and diabolical in appearance or devil like, uh, mm-hmm. He has clawed hands with some reports saying that it was metallic claws worn on his fingertips. Mm-hmm. Uh, eyes that resembled red balls of fire or great balls of fire if you're a fan <laughs> of music. Goodness gracious. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he wears a black coat, a helmet, and a tight-fitting white garment that looks like it's made of oil skin. Now, for those oh. who don't know what oil skin is, I had to look it up. It's a waterproof piece of clothing usually worn by fishermen. Um, historically it was called oil skin because it was made waterproof by applying oil and fats to the outside of the fabric. Oh, I'm sorry. Whipped the water away. 
Interesting. So, so like water or oils and and like fat, like you know, um, like blubber and stuff like that. They would apply it to the fabric to because it would wick the water away. Gotcha. Um, these days, you can think of like the stereotypical yellow raincoat and bucket hat, and those are oh. called oil skins. You know, but oh. but it's just rubber these days. But got it. Um, spring Jack is also tall and thin with a gentlemanly appearance, according to some people. Oh, that's so nice. Right. Not really. Oh. <laughs> You'll see. It's not really oh, that oh. nice. I'm jumping I mean, I guess he looks very dapper, but he's not very nice. Uh, um, he's breathes white and blue flames out of his mouth. Mm, yeah, I immediately regret what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> In some cases, he speaks fluent English. Okay. And he can jump over a tall building in a single bound. Wow. Kind of like early Superman, you know, leaps okay. over a tall building in a single bound. So getting into the sightings, the first known sighting of spring Jack was in October of 1837 in London when he jumped out of a dark alleyway and attacked a young servant girl named Mary Stevens as she was on her way back home to Lavender Hill. He grabbed her tightly by the arms, kissed her, tore her clothes with his claws, and touched her skin. Ooh. She later, right? Yeah, so not not great. <laughs> not great. Also not, not very great gentlemanly if we're going no. back to that descriptor. <laughs> yeah, apparently he looks gentlemanly, but I mean, let's be fair. You know, you can never judge a book by its cover. <laughs> that is true. It's very true. <laughs> so Mary later went on to describe his claws as feeling cold and clammy as those of a corpse. Because everybody knows what that feels like. You gotta know what a corpse <laughs> grabbing your skin or flesh, what, whichever descriptor. Yeah, I definitely. I feel like it is very like it's very visceral. Like I can imagine it. I have not. Experienced I can. It. I haven't ever experienced it. But yeah, it's it's yeah. one of those things that it's like I feel like everybody, even though nobody probably knows exactly what it feels like, everybody can imagine what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So uh, so she screamed, which caused Jack to flee the scene and brought nearby residents to her aid. But despite immediately launching a search for the assailant, they never found him. Because hmm. he had jumped so, a tall building. We don't know. At that point, he hadn't jumped over anything. At that point, he oh, wasn't okay. even known as Spring-Heeled Jack. It was just some creeper in an alley that <laughs> jumped out and, you know, clawed this woman's clothes and kissed her. Oh, poor Mary. Right? Um, and this... Spring Hill Jack is pretty much notoriously known for targeting women. So, mm. you know, just a real stand-up guy. Yeah, truly. Again, back to gentlemanly. Like, he's right. just proving us wrong at every turn. <laughs> he's just the epitome of a gentleman. Ah, oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Wait, I have a question. Yeah. If he, you said he speaks, he potentially speaks English, but he's yes. in the UK. So does he have a British accent? I would assume so, right? but I don't okay. know. Um, I mean, all of the, literally every sighting comes from the UK between 1837 and 1904. Got it. So there was no sight, no sightings really outside of the UK. Most sightings specifically were in London mm. with some straying a little bit outside of London and then one or two up in Scotland. Oh, interesting. So okay. probably he has a British accent. Cool. You know, if I were to guess, probably. But um, since we don't know if he's actually a person or if he's something else, maybe not. Oh, fair point. You know? Yeah. So because there are – I'll get into like the the possibilities of what he might be at the end. 
But, you know, some people think he might be like a demon. And we don't know if demons have accents or not. That's true. That is so very true. So they may have a hellish accent for oh all we God, know. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> a hellish accent. Hmm. Interesting. I'm going to have I, to. Yeah. I feel like I almost might peg that as British. Sorry, everyone who is from the UK. But like, <laughs> I feel like I would probably imagine that anyway. <laughs> I feel like that's a very American thing to say. I think of a hellish probably accent is. as probably a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> I blame movies that put British accents for every, I, everything. I do too. And I mean, like, think of like Supernatural. I mean, it's like Crowley, the king of hell, had a British accent. So it's like the to Brits fair, are. It might honestly be where that's coming from for me. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so the next sighting of Spring Hill Jack came from the very next day after Mary was attacked. Uh, he was spotted again near Mary's house. Um, upon being seen, he jumped in front of a moving carriage, causing the driver to lose control and crash, injuring himself in the process. Oh, my gosh. Right? So it's like he was seen creeping near Mary's house, which makes me think that, you know, this might have just been Mary's stalker. I was going to say Maybe. a spring stalker happening over here. <laughs> right? Just some creepy Victorian stalker in a cape. I don't love it. <laughs> I don't. I don't either. <laughs> So witnesses saw Jack flee the scene and jump over a nine foot tall or 2.7 meter tall wall while Whoa. cackling in high pitched laughter. Oh, I also don't like that. <laughs> right. Um, so and it was after this particular incident that people started referring to him as spring heeled Jack. Basically, he jumps around with springs on his heels and that's how God. he can jump over these nine foot tall walls. Huh. Okay. So, yeah. Gotcha. So he got the name very early on. Literally the second day that he was around. <laughs> his second his second initiation into the world. He's already jumped in. <laughs> um, the next sighting came from January 9th, 1838. So just a few months later, uh, the Lord Mayor of London, Sir John Cohen, held a public town hall meeting at the Mansion House to discuss the contents of anonymous letter that was sent to him complaining about spring Jack. The letter was signed huh. simply a resident of Peckham, um, which there's a bunch of different boroughs in London, kind of like Queens, the Bronx, Manhattan, and New York City. Um, so if you hear a lot of these names, they're probably not towns. They are just different sections of London. Gotcha. Um, so the letter said, it appears that some individuals as, of, as the writer believes, the highest ranks of life have laid a wager with a mischievous and foolhardy companion that he durst not take upon himself the task of visiting many of the villages near London in three different disguises, a ghost, a bear, and a devil, and moreover, that he will not enter a gentleman's gardens for the purpose of alarming the inmates of the house. The wager has, however, been accepted, and the unmanly villain has succeeded in depriving seven ladies of their senses, two of whom are not likely to recover but become burdens to their families, which that Whoa, is <laughs> a lot going on there. There's a lot going on there, and that's yeah. not even like the whole letter yet. That's oh just like God. the first half. So basically, he believes, the, the, he or she, they believe that spring Jack is a bunch of rich young men who are daring each other oh. to dress up in a ghost, bear, or devil disguise and go scare women. Got it. Okay. Which, that doesn't sound too far-fetched. It truly doesn't. I will it say, It really though, doesn't. 
they didn't, they still didn't, um, I don't think mention anything about the jumping, right? So they would still have to solve that. But I mean, you're right. Like frat guys jumping around, like right. Scaring people and scaring women that. that I could see that happening now. Oh, it's I mean, probably happening this moment, unfortunately. It, like, probably. Somewhere. I mean, you know, we have creepy things like that happen all the time. Remember the clowns of 2016? Mm-hmm. You know, it was just oh, God. people randomly dressing up as creepy clowns and just standing there scaring people. So it's like, if that can happen, and that was probably just a bunch of, you know, creepy dudes being weird, this is probably just a bunch of creepy dudes <laughs> being weird, too. <laughs> it's interesting that they... Because it sounds like this letter maybe was early on in the sightings. Like, it's mm-hmm. interesting that... Oh, yeah. You know, like I said, on. it was um, January of 1838, and the first sightings were October of 1837. So he'd only been around for, like, three months. So oh, wow. Yeah. So this was very early on. Got it. Uh, so the letter goes on to say, At one house, the man rang the bell, and the servant coming to open the door... This worse-than-brute stood in no less dreadful figure than a specter clad most perfectly. The consequence was that the poor girl immediately swooned and has never from that moment been in her senses. (gasps) Right? Caused her to faint, and she's kind of been having fits ever since. Oh, my God. Also, I'm really reevaluating my use of the word swoon. Like, that feels very (laughs) romantic. Right. You always think of it as, like, romantic, like, Mm -hmm. "Ah, swooning. But it's like swooning is any kind of fainting wow yeah that, i guess that really does like harken back to like any word at its origin versus mm-hmm. like where it is now that's really yeah it's definitely been romanticized a lot hmm. in modern times but yeah swooning originally just meant fainting could be wow. fainting of fright or fainting of happiness or shock or any sort of thing and you know, sounds plus it very was like oh sorry Oh, I was just going to say that like the practice of swooning actually in some like higher aristocracies was like a woman's way to show that she was delicate. So they would pretend faint as a way to show, oh, I'm, I'm a lady, I'm delicate. You know, it's wow. like, I, I can't handle this kind of thing. So they would pretend faint to get attention because it showed delicacy. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. I was literally just going to say, I bet it sounds very gendered towards women of like, something oh, it, it absolutely was, like, wow. you know, not to mention like there was a lot of just regular swooning in the the sense that like their corsets were too tight. So people fainted a lot from that as well. Oh my God. Anybody could swoon, but at least during this Victorian era, it was predominantly a a female thing. Got it. um, A female gendered thing. So. God, and um, now they have frat boys running around scaring people and you already can't breathe if you're in a corset. These poor women. Now, granted a servant girl probably wasn't in a corset. Oh, fair point. Um, now, some of them pro- might have been if they were, you know, like more well-to-do women. But yeah, like a servant girl, she was probably not in a corset at the time. She was probably just in like a gown and apron, um, probably didn't have any corsetry at all. Maybe Got a little it. bit, but not enough to probably make you swoon. This was probably, she legit fainted out of fright, which... This was real. If somebody dressed as a devil came and rang my doorbell late at night and it wasn't Halloween, I would probably faint too. Oh, if like <laughs> UPS knocks on my door and I'm not expecting a pack- package, <laughs> I technically swoon. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that's true. <laughs> if I have to like make a phone call, I'll swoon. Yes. Oh, yes. The phone swoon is real. <laughs> I have to make a phone call to schedule a doctor's appointment. I have to like uh. psych myself up for that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. 
So the letter finishes saying, the affair has now been going on for some time, and strange to say, the papers are still silent on the subject. The writer has reason to believe that they have the whole history at their finger ends, but through interested motives are induced to remain silent. So this reminds me of a lot of what's going on currently where people are saying, oh, the media is hiding things from us. So apparently people have always behaved like that. Good to know. (laughs) Perfect. The newspaper is hiding this from us. They're hiding the facts. So people have always been like this. This isn't a new thing. Oh, God. Love to know that we've had no forward motion in that regard. (laughs) In like 200 years, people are still blaming the media for like, holding back and holding facts from us. That's great. It's just love it. Love (laughs) it so much. (laughs) So uh, although the Lord Mayor was skeptical about this letter, an audience member of that public forum did confirm that servant girls in like four or five different boroughs of London had been attacked in similar manners. Oh, wow. So this was somewhat widespread at this point. And this is only three or four months in. Interesting. Uh, The next significant piece of news comes from just a couple days later, actually just like the next day and the day after, the 10th and 11th of January, 1838. Um, News of Spring-Heeled Jack had finally reached national papers, so now they're talking Mm. about it in papers. Because they got Um, called out. The papers were like, yeah, we got to step in now. (laughs) I guess so. They got called out. They got got subjected to like Victorian-era cancel culture. (laughs) 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 Which is just like word of mouth and like a little hand flick. (laughs) Right? So on 11 January, the Lord Mayor decided to address the situation once again by showing the public a pile of letters and complaints. So now he's got more than, in just two days, he's gotten a pile of letters and complaints sent to the mansion house. Um, One letter stated that in Hammersmith, several young women had either been scared into dangerous fits or had been severely wounded by the sort of claws the miscreant wore on his hands. Letters were from all over the city of London claiming to have seen the Phantom. Wow. Uh, so, so this was after the paper and this was like people yes, writing it. So it's saying. like the the public forum was on January 9th. The next day, January 10th, national newspapers were writing stories about it. And on the 11th, like two days after the initial public forum, the Lord Mayor held another public forum saying, "In just since my initial public forum, I've got a pile of letters of more sightings. Wow. Okay. Right. Um. So about a month later, on February 18th, 1838, uh, came one of the most famous sightings of Spring-Heeled Jack. Jane Alsop reported that that evening, she had opened the door of her father's house to a man claiming to be a police officer. He told her to bring a candle, claiming, we have caught Spring-Heeled Jack here in the lane. So basically, he was like, we need light, can, you know, and was claiming to have gone door to door asking people to bring lights out so that they could find out who Spring-Heeled Jack was. Okay. Um, She noticed, however, that he was wearing a large cloak. Uh, And upon handing him the candle, he threw the cloak off in a very dramatic fashion, which is something I would do if I was wearing a cloak. And I wanted And I wanted attention. Just (laughs) fling that cloak off. Um, And I mean, I just talked about it in our last episode, too. I love capes. Capes and cloaks are like the best thing ever. 
Capes and they need to make a comeback. Yes, correct. I actually, I had a cape for, I was um, the Bride of Frankenstein for Halloween last year. Oh, nice. or, no, a couple years ago. And I got into a fight that night and I stomped off while I mostly just walked away. <laughs> but the person was like, why are you walking away so dramatically? And I was like, I'm literally just wearing a cape. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> they make everything dramatic. Yeah. Literally everything yeah. is more dramatic with a cape. <laughs> Um, so he he flung it off like in a dramatic fashion and then presented a most hideous and frightful appearance. Mm. And that was her word specifically. Yikes. So he then spewed blue and white flames from his mouth and his eyes burned like red fireballs. Uh, Miss Alsop was the one that reported that she saw him wearing the helmet, the cloak and the tight fitting oil skin appearing clothing. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's helmet. where that comes from was her. Yeah, a helmet. Yeah. I don't know what kind of helmet. There's no description of what kind. I mean, my, I don't know why my first thought is to like a bike helmet, you know, yeah. but that's the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> no, same. It's like you're wearing skinny jeans, but they're made of oil and you have a bike helmet on. That was my first Or they're first just like too. shiny skinny jeans. Like I'm, I'm picturing like <laughs> shiny black pleather skinny jeans, yeah. a bike helmet and a cape. And I'm just like, this guy is not intimidating at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like if you have a helmet on or... Like if you have, because he has like claws, right? Like why do you need? Yes. A, maybe it's to protect himself from his own claws. I maybe mean, I would definitely. I just I want to know what kind of helmet it is because we know it's not our yeah. you know styrofoam and plastic bike helmets that we've got right. nowadays. It's probably <laughs> probably some like war helmet or metal oh, helmet or something. True, like a constable's but, helmet. Yeah, or maybe something like that. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, so he then reached out and grabbed Miss Alsop and began ripping her gown with his claws. And she just, she was the one that described his claws as being made of some sort of metallic substance. Oh. Uh, she screamed and managed to wrench herself free from his grip. But before she could get away completely, he caught up to her and slashed her back and neck with his claws. Ooh. Right? Uh, her sisters, hearing her terrified screams, rushed out to rescue their sister and the cloak figure disappeared into the night. Oh my God. Was she okay? Like the, were the gashes? Yeah. Like... Yeah. She, she was okay, but she got kind of scratched up and I don't know how Ooh. bad the scratches were, but it seemed like she made it out. Okay. Yeah. Um, the next most famous sighting is just from a little over a week later on February 28th of 1838. Um, 18 year old Lucy scales and her sister who doesn't have a name in this story or any, oh. any, I can't find her sister's name anywhere. I just Poor know sister. Lucy. So, Lucy and Sister Scales were on their way home <laughs> from visiting their brother, who also doesn't have a name. So Brother Scales. Brother Scales, yes. <laughs> so we've got Lucy, Sister, and Brother Scales. What a cast it sounds of like characters. I'm talking, right? It sounds like I'm talking about a nun and a priest. Mm -hmm, Sister yes. Scales and Brother Scales. Um, they were heading home from visiting their brother in upscale Limehouse Borough of London. Uh, in her later report to the police, she stated that while she and her sister were walking down Green Dragon Alley, which sounds like something from Harry Potter. Truly. Um, they saw a person standing in the passageway. Upon reaching the figure, who was once again dressed in a cloak, he spit blue flames or blue and white flames right in her face, temporarily blinding her and sending her into fits on the ground that lasted for several hours. Oh, my God. Like He didn't burn her face, but it was just so bright that it. Because, I mean, imagine like a big puff of fire right in your face. She couldn't see. 
Yeah. So she kind of collapsed to the ground. And the idea too of like the blue and white, like that's, Mm -hmm. isn't that like technically the hottest part of a flame? Like the actual It sure is. Yeah. So like, oh my God, that was probably very scary for her. Sure. I'd be on the ground for a while. Yeah. So it's like the the brightness and probably the heat from that temporarily blinded her. And yeah, she collapsed to the ground. Um, her brother reported that he had heard his sister screaming from his house. So they hadn't even made it that far from the house. He could hear them screaming from his house. Oh, geez. So he like, oh God, that's a scary thought. So he ran out to help them and came upon Lucy collapsed on the ground and her sister doing the best to support and care for her on the ground. Hmm. Uh, the sister and brother took Lucy back to his house, which is when the sister gave her description of what the man looked like to the police. She described him as tall and thin with a gentlemanly appearance. That word Um, again. Right. Uh, he wore a cloak and was carrying a small lamp or bullseye lantern, similar to those used by the police. So a bullseye lantern is, so you, you think of those traditional Victorian lanterns where they're glass panes on all four sides. Mm-hmm. Like the one Captain Hook put Tinkerbell in. Oh, you yes. <laughs> yes. So that's what you'd think of. But a bullseye lantern are the ones that are closed in on all sides and it's black. And then they've got like a lens at the front. So it actually like directs the light oh, forward. Yes. I so know and yeah, about. police yeah. use those ones specifically. The other lanterns were to give like a big wide like array of light. And then the bullseye lanterns directed the light forward only. Got it. So. Yeah. Um, He apparently didn't speak to them or physically attack them other than spewing the flames out and then quickly walked away once the once he had successfully scared the two women. He just walked just casually just like goodbye quickly walked off like it says quickly walked away. So he I'm, Mm. I'm imagining like a brisk pace just kind of shot down the street. But yeah, he was like, oh, well, I've successfully scared them. Time to go. Oh, yeah, I don't love the like walking. I I, I no. would prefer a scary entity to vanish quicker than that, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, cuz if he walks away it's like he doesn't care that he just scared the crap out of you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um okay, so although Jack made many other small appearances up until like this next sighting that I'm talking about. And he was even famous enough to be featured in news comics and Penny Dreadfuls, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, his next sighting of note doesn't come until August of 1877, so four years later. Um, like I said, there were a number of sightings, but they were just small sightings that kind of came and went. Got it. Um, but in August of 1877, he was spotted at the Aldershot military base, which is about 32 miles or 51 kilometers southwest of London. Oh, wow. Um, right? This is the first thing, first time that I could find that wasn't an attack on women. I was just going to say, yeah, that can't be, especially in that time frame. Like that yeah, can't be so this, directed at yeah, women. Yeah, it, it probably wasn't women. The only time, at least as far as I know, the only time women served in the military at that time was as nurses. Got it. Um but this was an attack on guards on duty. So oh. yeah, it was, it was men. Huh. Um, so one of the soldiers on guard duty noticed a peculiar figure in the dark coming towards him. The soldier issued a command for the figure to cease his approach, like freeze. Mm-hmm. And the figure ignored him and quickly came up and slapped the soldier numerous times in the face. Rude. <laughs> right? Just, just comes up and slaps him. Oh my um, God. The guard and a few others shot at the figure with no visible effect of being shot many times, some at point blank. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a new a new development, I feel. Right? That's a new superpower right there that I'm yeah. not sure how I feel about. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Jack then fled, jumping over high walls to make his escape. So these are like, once again, like 10 foot tall walls that he jumped over and ran off into the night. So he literally just came, slapped, and left. Yeah, he came, slapped, and left. (laughs) You know, just... Wow. (laughs) He was there on a mission. He accomplished (laughs) it. And he's like, I'm out. I'm not trying to get into the base. I'm just trying to slap a soldier. (laughs) Listen, I'm not trying to get into what I actually feel or like any reasons behind the slap. I just need to slap you. I I just need to slap you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Jack's final appearance was in 1904. And there really isn't much about this. Like I looked at numerous different sites for any sort of like elaboration on this, but it was simply just Jack was seen jumping up and down the streets of Liverpool before jumping onto the rooftops and bounding away forever. And that was the last sighting of Jack was in Liverpool in 1904. People just saw him hippity hopping around the streets and that's it. And then he jumped onto a roof. Whoa. So he wasn't even scaring anyone that time. Just like, or I mean, let's, let's be real. If you saw somebody jumping onto (laughs) roofs and stuff in 1904, you would probably be scared. (laughs) I don't know. know? I'm pretty steely. I never swoon. (laughs) (laughs) But Uh, yeah, but he wasn't actually like actively attacking people at that sighting. He was just, springing around the roads and then hopped onto a rooftop and disappeared forever. Wow. So interesting. So that was over right? the span of like four or five years, you said? Uh, so it started in like the first sighting of Jack was 1837 mm-hmm. and then it lasted up until 1904. So a little under 70 years, oh, like okay. 60 some odd years that he was p- hopping in and out of, you know, wow. people's notice, I guess. Um, so some quick fun facts about Springheeled Jack. Uh, as I mentioned before, he was the focal point of many Penny Dreadfuls, which were cheap, popular serial literature produced during the 19th century in the United Kingdom. Um, a story, like one story would span several issues, which came out weekly, mm. kind of like modern television show episodes. And each episode, or each issue, not each episode, each issue only mm-hmm. cost a penny. Uh, And then the subject matter of these stories was typically sensational, focusing on exploits of detectives or criminals or supernatural entities, which is how it's got it, how it got its names of penny dreadfuls, because they cost a penny and they were usually about dreadful topics, you know, which I mean, it's kind of like our podcasts these days, you know, so it's (laughs) like they're listening to weekly episodes of true crime. And, yeah. and cryptids. <laughs> oh, yeah. So no, our podcasts, like especially a lot of the podcasts these days are kind of like modern penny dreadfuls. Yeah, so, totally. Um, another fun fact is that Jack's initial portrayals in penny dreadfuls uh, were as a villain. But as he gained popularity in local folklore, he was increasingly shown as the hero of the stories, going so, oh. so far as to be portrayed in colorful costumes protecting the innocent by the early 1900s. In fact, Springheeled Jack's appearance as the hero in these stories was actually one of the precursors and inspirations to comic book superheroes of modern times. What? Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I found that that and I was like, that is so cool. Yeah. Oh my God. The cape can be traced all the way back. (laughs) Yeah. The cape, the colorful, like skin tight suit and everything like that. And the fact that he could like jump around. Modern superheroes were at least in part based on Springheeled Jack. Oh my God. So wild. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, now finally, as far as explanations of who or mm. what spring Jack is, like I said, one of them is that it was a group of wealthy young men that were acting out on dares as part of some sort of 
fraternity, you know, not necessarily an actual college fraternity, but just a group of guys right. doing stupid guy things. Which but, you're right, very believable. Very Extremely believable. so. <laughs> yeah. Um, another explanation is that it's just a fictional boogeyman that was fueled by mass hysteria, mm-hmm. um, which I could kind of see some of that, like maybe working like along with the group of wealthy young men, you know, like people get excited and, and worked up and they start saying, oh, I saw him jump over a nine foot wall when they probably didn't. Maybe he just right. climbed over the wall, you know, so it's like little bit of like truth mixed in with fiction. Sure. Um, one of the most popular opinions and beliefs at the time was that spring Jack was actually the Marquess of Waterford. Uh, he was actually known as the mad Marquise. Um, huh. He had a history of bad experiences with women and police officers. Uh, he was Ooh. known for drunken brawls, vandalism and cruel jokes and was known to do anything for a bet. So, huh. He kind of fit the descriptions of what spring Jack was known for. Yeah. Um, so people attributed it to him. Um, he did eventually marry and settle down, and according to sources, led an exemplary life until he died due to an accidental riding mishap. Huh. So, yeah. But well, um, he sounds like, like a total dude, bro, you know? Yeah, and I also feel <laughs> like if you are, like, masquerading as a weird like cultural opposite vigilante that was not Mm -hmm. worded well but like if you're like out there terrorizing women right in the streets like i feel like you would probably live an exemplary life and try to oh yeah cover it up well i mean think about like all the true crime stories we know most of the time the murderers are pillars of society and they're wonderful (gasps) Uh people you know and it's like but i mean he wasn't a wonderful person (laughs) (laughs) i mean fair (laughs) he didn't live an exemplary life until he got married and settled down like Basically, once he got out of his 20s, probably, he he settled down. But it's like, or yeah, you know, like his late teens, early 20s, he was known for mistreating women, misbehaving with police officers, getting drunk, vandalizing. It's like he did not live a very exemplary life prior to getting married. Fair. (laughs) And then uh, a couple other explanations for what Jack might be. Some speculate he might have been an alien because that's what most cryptids end up being speculated to be as an alien. Got it. Um, Others think he was a demon summoned by, you know, old Victorian cults at the time, you know, because that was, there was a lot of like the the mysticism going on at that time. You know, people were interested in and practicing the occult at that time. So people think that maybe they accidentally summoned a demon. Mm. And then others think that he might have just been a ghost or a phantom that was haunting London. But... So that's spring Jack. Wow. Oh, my God. I Well, I love the cult idea. I also love the idea that, like, I don't love this idea, but, <laughs> like, the idea that, like, that marquee guy was mm-hmm. terrible enough that, like, even if he was trying to cover up anything, like, people were still like, no, no, we still think it's him. No, like, we still think it's yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> five by five with, like, a demon. It's like, you're that bad. <laughs> it's like, it's either a demon or it's the, you know, the douchebag down the road in the castle. <laughs> A demon or a douchebag, we don't know. <laughs> They're about the same. They're on par. Yeah. Yes, I would wear that shirt, demon or douchebag, we don't know. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll have to see about creating a design for a t-shirt that says demon or douchebag. <laughs> the jury's still out. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to cover Eva's conspiracy theory. Ooh. 
Okay, so we're back. So go ahead and let me know, because you said you're really excited about this conspiracy and it's something you've wanted to talk about for a while. Yeah, so okay. So I racked my brain to try to remember where I heard about this the first time mm-hmm. because I remember and I think I was so mind blown that I forgot everything else because I couldn't remember where I heard about it the first time I okay. think I just like immediately spiraled into like rabbit holes and such. <laughs> <laughs> it happens <laughs> it happens because I love a conspiracy but I also you know feel like I'm on more of sometimes the more pragmatic side of like well maybe this didn't happen or maybe mm-hmm. these other things could explain it and right. like Spoiler alert, a little bit, but not really. I, like, think this one could have actually happened. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which I think right. has, like, the allure of it for me, so. Well, that's those are usually the best conspiracy theories are the ones that actually make you go, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if I really believe in it, but I could believe in it. Yeah, you know? exactly. There's, like, enough evidence that, like, hits yeah. true to you, you know? Yeah, like, it's it's a little bit too on the nose for it to not have some truth in it. Like, you know, there's always the funny conspiracy theories like, you know, birds aren't real and flat earth and stuff like that, where it's like, they're funny, but there's no way that you're going to believe in that. But then there's there's other ones like, you know, like Princess Diana being assassinated or or JFK's assassination and who was behind it that you're kind of like, you know, those ones are I could I could see that being real, you know. Yeah, and you really hit the nail on the head because this is about a historical person. So maybe okay. that's the thread. Tell me if you've heard of this before. This is about John Dillinger and the conspiracy that his body that was buried is not actually him. I feel like I've heard of this before. Like, I can't pinpoint where I've heard the name John Dillinger. Like, I know I've heard it, yeah. but I don't know who it is. Yes. Also, same. That was my first thought too. Like, I didn't know anything about him either. Okay. Um, so I do have. Well, so what happened? I was, <laughs> I was saying earlier that I went into such like a. I wasn't even that good of a student, but all of a sudden I was like, let me just put together five pages worth of notes. Don't worry, <laughs> I'm not going to read all of them. So like the history on just John Dillinger alone, I was like, goodbye to my sanity. I've done. Oh no, I know. <laughs> like literally every time I work on scripts for this podcast, they're always like between five and eight pages long of just notes. And I'm like, I hated writing research papers in college, but now I'm like, let me write a research paper over right. the weekend. It's like when you get to pick, it's like, sure, I could do this. Right. <laughs> okay. So John Dillinger, you might know some of the associating factors around him. So okay. he was one of the biggest things that, um, I think I recognized him for was being known as public enemy number one. Um, He also was portrayed by Johnny Depp in the movie public enemies in 2009. Okay. Okay. Ringing a little. Yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to think I recognize this. Okay. Yeah. Um, So the, I should say first to you, my two main sources on this was uh, an, an uh, article from the history channel. Okay. um, About the history of John Dillinger. And then, also, this was kind of fun. Roger Ebert, the film critic, actually in 2009, when Public Enemies came out, because Public Enemies was very much like a historical, but also like towards the end, it didn't really cover necessarily even exactly like even like the how the Wikipedia page says that John okay. Dillinger died. Like it didn't really like fully. So basically, Roger Ebert had this really prolific true crime writer write a whole article about how, and this true crime writer, I'll get to it at the end, but he's the one that like 
he literally wrote two books on the fact that oh, he boy. doesn't believe that John Dillinger's actually or actually, actually died. Dead. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So going back to okay. So John Dillinger, sort of the encapsulated history, is that he was known as public enemy number one by the FBI. Um, the media sensationalized him. He was um, so so he was a gangster, quote unquote, like okay. in the twenties, thirties ish okay. era. Gotcha. So he was, this actually is pretty timely too, because he was born in, um, June on June 22nd of 1903. Okay. And then he was killed actually on July 22nd of 1934, but quote unquote killed. Was he killed? Right. Okay. We don't know. So he was, he was still relatively young. Like he was, yeah. Was that 31? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so his background, he was born in Indianapolis. He was known by a couple different monikers throughout his life. Johnny mm-hmm. it was one of them. Jackrabbit was another because he was so sprightly as he jumped away from and ran away from the cops as he was robbing banks. Maybe he was Springheeled Jack. Oh my God. <laughs> Parallel. Maybe he was. <laughs> he's jumping and running away and he's known as Jack. Oh my God. Oh my we God, just figured is. it out. Holy crap. He was... The frat bro in the UK scaring women. How dare he? <laughs> maybe he was, well, maybe he was reincarnated. Like he disappeared. I mean, spring Jack disappeared the year before, <gasps> the year that this Jack was born. Stop it. We've never seen them oh my in the God. same place at the same time. <laughs> oh my God. He just, your Jack is, or your, wait, you said he, yeah, he was, he was just the reincarnation of spring Jack. I think we, we figured, figured it out, out, guys. Should we just end the podcast now? <laughs> and we're done. That's it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> we figured it out. We figured the entire conspiracy theory out. It's fine. <laughs> um, so let's see. Um, Jack Rabbit. Oh, because of his super cool moves is what I wrote mm-hmm. in the uh, in my notes here. <laughs> that actually also comes back later. So remind me about that later because that actually does factor into the conspiracy theory. His, okay. Um, very graceful. Apparently he would like just his they didn't really describe it specifically but apparently the way like he would go rob a bank or you know the cops would be chasing him mm-hmm. and then he would like just pull some moves and he'd get away from them so that was like always really notorious too he probably flourished his cape dramatically oh my god he totally did <laughs> <laughs> he flourished oh. his cape dramatically it caught the police off guard and then he just bounced up onto a roof and fled well, he so this guy, you're actually pretty spot on because his oh, entire God. life is like it's almost like I get why movies were made about him because mm-hmm. I, and that's why I have like five pages of notes because I was like, I can't cut this out. That's too funny. I can't cut that out. That's too funny. Like he would get arrested <laughs> for stealing chickens and then he would go to jail what? and then he would like just walk out of the jail. Like there's so many things that were like, oh, my God, I can't not talk about that. But I would be talking for 10,000 years. So, <laughs> Okay. Um, But so, okay. So one of his first real crimes, he actually (laughs) was caught stealing a car, trying to impress a girl on a date. Okay. Literally just ran away from the cops. Like the cops chased him, but couldn't catch him. And so he was like, well, I can't go home. So like, should I join the Navy? Probably. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) So he joins the Navy and like, that doesn't even factor in. I just had to say it because also super random and fun fact he was actually on a naval ship that was later, uh, later sank at Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor in 1941. Oh so, oh, wow. but he okay. left, he like ditched the Navy, but before then too. So he was gotcha. on the ship then. 
Gotcha. Um, okay. So even as like in his early childhood, he was like kind of a little petty criminal. Like he would just steal from local grocers and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't until he went to jail that he really became like, he kind of got like, it was kind of sad to read. It was like, he got really depressed in jail. And then he was Aww. like, well, kind of like F everything. And then he was around a lot of criminals and they talked about like crime all the time, like right. bank robbing in particular. So he was like, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's um, the life for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was like, so then he, yeah, what was it? He like escaped twice, two different times. He escaped mm-hmm. from jail formed gangs uh different like quote unquote like gangs 1920s mm-hmm. 30s ish um style they would mostly go into banks and rob banks mm-hmm. um of their money and he was kind of like so like i said the media sensationalized him um to a point where they were always covering his and his gang's crimes mm-hmm. um so for a while like the public was very scared of him they were like he's gonna come anytime and he could shoot us and like i think at this point they hadn't killed anyone yet they do spoiler alert they're not like the greatest but (laughs) they're not the best okay (laughs) what do you mean the bank robberies escalated (laughs) (laughs) correct you are correct about that um but also so there was one really notorious story that started going around where John Dillinger apparently was like holding up a bank with the rest of his um, gang members. Mm-hmm. And they, um, so there were a lot of people like patrons of the bank there. And apparently there was a farmer there and he had, he had like just gotten money out of his account and he had money with him. And John Dillinger apparently really famously asked him, is that your money or is that the bank's money? Meaning like, I, I suppose like a loan or like whatever. Okay. And the guy was like, it's my money. And John Dillinger apparently said back to him, keep it. We only want the bank's money. Okay. So at this point, they're still like pretending to be Robin Hood. Yes. Rob from the rich to give to the poor, the poor being us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Except they didn't give it away. They just kept it. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's what I meant. It's like the poor is me. I am poor. I am the poor. (laughs) Correct. It's me. I am poor. I, so, it's um, me, though. <laughs> so at this point, yeah. they still feel like they're morally okay. Like, like, yeah, yeah. Like at this point, they're still kind of like they're. I mean, they're still bad guys, but it's kind of that morally ambiguous bad guy where it's like, yeah, you're stealing, but you're stealing from like Jeff Bezos, and he can handle you know a hundred dollars exactly. being taken. Yeah, gotcha. he won't okay. even notice it. Exactly. Right. Gotcha. So this okay. is actually a really important shift for the conspiracy theory coming because um, so before the public was really afraid of him thinking that like they could come into their grocery store and rob them at any point. Mm-hmm. Whereas now they were kind of like, oh, maybe he's a little bit cool. Like maybe yeah. he likes us a little bit more than he likes, you know, big corporations and whatnot. Right, right. So this was like kind of a public image shift, if you will. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, I mean, even myself, it just immediately started looking like a sort of Robin Hood motif where he's not going to rob, you know, us other peasants. You know, he's (laughs) only going to rob, he's only going to rob the wealthy 1%. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And so that was like really big in the, like, as the media was covering him, that kind of started coming out too. So people were looking at him differently. Okay. Back to that as well. Okay. Okay. Um, okay, so then this kind of things, as you definitely kind of pointed out, things definitely went downhill pretty quickly. And there are like <laughs> so many different like wild like facts that I wish I could just like 
talk about for a thousand years. But basically, <laughs> what ended up happening, ac- happening according mm-hmm. to you know general thought or whatnot. Right, right, right. Um, is that so? He, let's see, where are we? Um, this was also where the FBI started getting involved because during one of his escapes, he had taken he had stolen a police car from the jail and like just driven it wherever he wanted they really weren't paying attention yeah you know a lot of this is very also like how did but how did he yeah not only did he escape but he also stole a police cruiser okay yeah and there's also like side note there are other like the story that kind of goes along with that is like he either there are two options and he either escaped by corruption and literally Mm -hmm. a a guard just slipped him a gun from potentially another one of his like bank robber friends. Right. Or he just whittled himself a gun, quote unquote, (laughs) out of like wood or whatever he had and used shoe polish to make it black and then just like waltzed out the door and was like, goodbye. (laughs) He he potentially (laughs) held up the police officers Uh with a gun that he'd whittled from his bedpost. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like every single part of this, I'm like, but that's a movie too. But that's a story too. Like unto itself. Oh, this guy's a real character. Okay. Yes. He is extremely, just completely a character. So now because he drove this car across state lines, that means that he's now in the category of felon because. Right. He's a federal you know, exactly. a federal offender. Gotcha. So that's when the FBI comes in. That's when Melvin Purvis comes in and he's kind of this notorious, like, well, in the story, at least he, um, was under Jagger Hoover okay. at the FBI. Gotcha. And he was the, he was like the main point person on like catch John, Dill- John Dillinger okay. or else. So he was like a top dog in the FBI. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so he was, Apparently, let's see, where are we here? So yeah, as the story kind of like unfolds towards the end of John Dillinger's life or his supposed death was that they, they, um, after, so this is a little bit sad. So John Dillinger Mm -hmm. and another gang member were injured in a bank robbery gone wrong. Um, they decided they needed a little, a little me time, a little recovery time. So they went Mm -hmm. to a resort in Wisconsin called Little Bohemia. Okay. Um, and the owners of that resort tipped off the FBI. And so the FBI came to the resort. Mm -hmm. There was a a stakeout. There was some people sort of like in the area walking Mm -hmm. around. The FBI freaked out, shot at those people. And then it turns out it was not John Dillinger and his gang. And while all of Mm -hmm. that was happening, they slipped out the back and ran away. Meanwhile, the FBI killed one innocent person and injured two others. So, oh boy, that's not good. Um, that that's also actually, sounds very familiar. Right, Cops shooting the wrong people. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's actually like the crux a little bit for me of like why this could be true because it's mostly just the FBI being like, "No, we really got him." And I'm like, "Why would I believe you?" <laughs> <laughs> I have no reason to. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Yeah. That was really bad. So they escape. Um, the gang then goes on to another really botched robbery in South Bend, Indiana. Okay. Um, that also is very – that's actually I, – I believe if I'm remembering 
public enemies. That's actually the shootout. It is very, even in the history books are like, this is the biggest, like it it was movie-esque, like it was a big shootout. And because they all had bounties on their heads, citizens were actually getting involved and were like jumping on them and trying to like stop them. Right, right, right. For the reward money. Right, of course. Yeah. Right, right, right. So that also wasn't great. Um, I don't believe anyone was killed in that episode of the gang members. I do think there were some citizens that were um, that were injured during right. that. But then well, the they actual got in the way, so I, I get that. Yeah, they actually like jumped actually <laughs> onto. Like there was that's why I like worded it that way because like in one of the articles it was like uh, like a local. I think it was like a boy, but it could I could be wrong. It didn't actually like. But it sounded like it was like a young man who actually jumped on top of one of them as they were like, exiting. oh, wow. Like he literally yeah. tackled him. Mm-hmm. OK, cool. Yeah, <laughs> he was he, he was really excited. He's like, no, I need this money, guys. He was like, I'm getting that bounty. Like not only is that badass, but I'm getting the money. <laughs> right, right. Here, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. If I catch him, rounds on me. Oh my God, truly. Like, you got to think too, like they're coming out of a bank in like the middle, I think the middle of the day. It didn't really specify, but it's also, right. like, that's, and this was people running errands. Well, and this was also um, during the height of the depression. So of course Correct. people wanted the money. Yes. You know, so yeah, yeah, no, I can, I'd be desperate too. It's like, yeah, no, okay. Height of depression, yeah. probably coming up on, or actually it was also do, do, do. Um, I can't think of the word. All of a sudden, it just dropped out of my mind. Like, where they banned alcohol. I can't. Oh, think prohibition. Of it. Yeah, prohibition. There we go. Yeah. So it was like prohibition and Great Depression. So yeah, people are just like, I don't care. I'll die. I'll die for some money. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that's actually like a really integral part of this. Is that like, and goes back to the whole Robin Hood idea too. That right. like people started, you know, seeing him different ways as it related to money, like, and then as money comes back into it in terms of a reward, like, you know, they kind of flipped back and forth on him. Right. Um, Yeah. So then the big last sort of hurrah as, as according to history books and common, Mm -hmm. common thought on John Dillinger is that he was actually killed on July 22nd at around 5 PM. Okay. um, A, Quote, unquote, they call her a girlfriend. We'll get to that later. <laughs> mm, okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, this person, Anna Sage, had tipped off the FBI that she was going to go to one of two theaters in Chicago with John Dillinger. Okay. And that if they wanted to, she was going to ID them, ID him for the FBI. Okay. So her friend Melvin Purvis comes back along with a Chicago PD, well, a lot of Chicago PD, but one in particular, um, let me find his name. It's like Melvin something. Melvin. Okay, I have that somewhere else in my notes. He'll come back later. We'll find him. Okay. We'll find him. Um, so Melvin Purvis comes back, and they basically stake out the Biograph Theater. Melvin Purvis is at the Biograph. There's another team mm-hmm. at another theater. She had been like, there's one of two. We'll be at one right, of two. Right, right. So Melvin Purvis is at the Biograph. As soon as they walk out, he sees Anna. She lights a cigarette to signify this is him. Okay, that was her tell? Yeah, that gotcha. was her like right there. And then they all draw, drew their guns, the FBI, and apparently said, according to legend, Purvis said something like, you can't go anywhere, Johnny. Like, 
that type. <laughs> you're your maid now or something. Okay, gotcha. Right. Um, uh, John Dillinger tries to run, tries to grab a gun out of his uh, out of his attire wherever he mm-hmm. had it, um, but is killed by four bullets. Three coming from the yeah. Where did I put this? Three bullets entered from the back um, okay. and one from the front, most severing his um, spine and going out through his face. Oh, fun. Sick. Yes. Okay. Nice. Sorry yeah, about you, that. You don't, come, you don't come back from that. <laughs> no. And no, correct, because he was lying as he was lying, dying and or already dead on mm-hmm. the pavement. Spectators, there were a ton of spectators and this was like, in line with just that morbid spectator thing, because a lot of people right. around grabbed their handkerchiefs and started dipping it in his blood. To like, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know that, you know, uh, your friends have talked about on their podcast that, yeah, back mm-hmm. in that time, it was like, they didn't have a lot of like the criminology that we do or the forensics that we do. So people would right. take souvenirs yeah. of like the morbid stuff going on, you know, so that they could pass these weird disgusting things down as like heirlooms like this is the blood of john dillinger i got it i was there the day he was killed you know and Mm -hmm. it's yeah so that doesn't surprise me you know that happened a lot back then so yeah yeah that was definitely a part of it they had to chase everyone away and then there was like a big show of you know taking him to the local hospital the local coroner's office or um a funeral home then had they had him transported back to his hometown in indiana mm-hmm. um his sister id'd the body and he was laid to rest on july 25th 1934 in a family okay. plot in crown hill also crown point i think one is the name of the town and one is the name of the cemetery okay. um uh in but it's in indianapolis indiana gotcha okay so that was a little bit of the history and now right here is the conspiracy. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> okay. So fast forward, I kind of wrote this in a little like roundabout way. Mm-hmm. So I think this is actually how I heard about it because there was a little bit of media spotlight on this this time last year. Okay. So in June 2019, also like RIP our sanities for what was coming. <laughs> Didn't our <laughs> Dude, that sweet seems like it was so. so long ago. Yes, oh my correct. God. Like I'm thinking back to June of 2019 and it's like mm-hmm. that was like three years ago. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's accurate. <laughs> yeah, I saw that and I was like, that was definitely more than one calendar year. Um, Simpler times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was because at that time, Michael C. Thompson, who is actually John Dillinger's biological nephew. Oh, okay. Had submitted. So he actually submitted. Actually, there were two uh, requests. He was kind of more, he had more quotes out and about. I think he was more of like the spokesperson for the family. But there were more multiple requests from the family for this. So it wasn't just okay. him. Um, they submitted official court documents to the Department of Health in Indiana to exhume John Dillinger's body. I think I do remember hearing about that vaguely because it it kind of made national news at least for like a day or two yeah Um, i think i vaguely do remember hearing that so okay yeah it was picked up by a couple like i all the ones i i this was like the other part of my sources were the local like indianapolis newspapers but it was picked up by like ap and a bunch of other news sources too because Mm -hmm. i mean it is such kind of a like romantic in the term in terms of like 
you know, just the way that things well, are romanticized and mythical. Yeah, I mean, he's he's an American folklore, you know, icon at this point. So, mm-hmm. you know, like up there with like Buffalo Bill and stuff like that. Right. So, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, I get it. I can totally get why people would be interested in that. Right. So. And even just the drama of it, if nothing else, right. it's like, Absolutely. oh, the family wants what? Oh, yeah. Well, they want to dig up a body like almost a hundred years later. That's mm-hmm. that's a big deal. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like more than one, it's not just like one like random family member being right. like, I'm going to do this for like, you know, whatever reasons. It's like yeah, for clout. <laughs> it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like actually his entire family is like, no, we actually all want to do this. Okay. Yeah. So I have a couple quotes from this document that were in a bunch of the news sources. Um, so Michael C. Thompson confirmed the request to media saying, quote, it is my belief and opinion that it is critical to learn whether Dillinger lived beyond his reported death date of July 22nd, 1934. Mm-hmm. If he was not killed on that date, I am interested in discovering what happened to him, where he lived, where he had chil- or whether he had children and whether any such children or grandchildren are living today. Okay. Which, like, yeah, it's like, you know. Yeah, I don't blame him for wanting to find out. You know, plus with that, you could do, like, if you exhume the body, you could do, like, DNA tests and stuff like that as well now. True. Well, that was the, yeah, exactly. That was the exact point of exhuming the body. They were going to do a DNA test on the body to find out if it was actually DNA related to Mm -hmm. um, the family. Right. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So, um, let's see here. Choo-choo-choo. Um, so in the 86 years since John Dillinger's supposed death, many like actual historians, as well as like, obviously just enthusiasts like us, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, have gone through like a lot of like actual evidence in terms of thinking that John Dillinger was not actually killed that day, that it okay. actually was a different person that was killed and that it was kind of a dual cover up between John Dillinger and the FBI. Oh, Okay. And like, not in terms of them working together, but in terms of No, but of for like, different reasons. Like he got yeah. to, he planted somebody else to die in his place mm-hmm. and the FBI, knowing that it wasn't actually him, covered it up their mistake as well. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Yeah, cool, yeah, cool, yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Where are we? Some of the evidence. Because I remember this, like when I first heard about this um, Mm -hmm. in general, I remember hearing just kind of the sentence that has all of the, you know, quote unquote evidence in it. And I remember being like, oh, yeah, that's a lot of shit. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So I have another, um, let's see. Oh, yeah. So this is also from that document, that um, request. It says, this evidence includes the non-match of his eye color, the scar shape and protrusion from the head, the fingerprints not matching, the existence of a heart condition, and the apparent non-match of the anterior teeth. Huh. Yeah. So his fingerprints didn't match up, his Mm -hmm. dental records didn't match up, his eye color wasn't the same, and he had a a scar and a heart condition that weren't there before. Yeah. And like, that's not the same person. (laughs) Like everything you use to identify a body. (laughs) Right. At least at that time. Yeah. That is everything. So it's like a 0% match, Yeah, but it's like, we're going to call it. Yeah. Okay. This is him. (laughs) I promise. Yeah. L O L. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. Um, So as a fun little side note, the FBI, well, I mean, not even really a side note, like this does actually factor in the Mm -hmm. FBI, like, 
tweeted a response to that they were like no guys it was really him we promise oh yeah (laughs) literally what i just said no guys scouts honor honestly just believe us and they posted a picture they were like no no here are his his fingerprints like they like here are the fingerprints they match like our database they just literally linked back to their own database with the same of course they did and they were like trust us trust (laughs) us of course it's real and everyone was oh, like, boy. no. <laughs> yeah, okay. So ridiculous. Mm. Um, really convincing, guys, is what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so this is just 2019, but this theory has actually been around for a while. And as I mentioned, this true crime writer, Robert, or sorry, J. Robert Nash, he's written over like 70 true crime books, two of them, two entire books on John Dillinger and this theory alone. Um, I'm sorry, I did not read both of those books, but I definitely want to now. (laughs) I do too. I know, right? Um, This article, I'll send you the link to this article. The article on Ebert's site is super fascinating too. Like it kind of condenses his whole story into like one. And it's kind of interesting because it was like a real response to the Johnny Depp movie that came out, which Mm -hmm. is the Roger Ebert kind of tie-in of like, you know, related. Um, And then it was this guy being like, also lol like this probably wasn't true um (laughs) and so nash actually goes into this really super descriptive um version of events that happened at the biograph theater and like oh my god it's just so detailed like it's so whereas like the any like history that i was reading of that event was like kind of vague and it was like anna sage like his girlfriend which like they described any woman that he was with as his girlfriend which i think he probably was just like had a lot of partners and like probably yeah you know this person too like the background of anna sage is that she was um potentially a brothel madam she was okay so she was possibly like a sex worker or something like that yeah exactly okay as the the original story goes is that she was trading john dillinger one of her clients or one of her um one of her her workers mm-hmm. was potentially thought that they had ID'd John Dillinger. And so she was trading John Dillinger for, um, you know, for the FBI to back off of her. Um, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. And she like was a, also almost like a plea deal or something like that. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And this is also interesting because she was also, she's Romanian, was mm-hmm. Romanian. Um, and so was also, um, supposedly uh, a uh, a deportation issue that she was like potentially going to be deported. So she was like, here, I'll give you this person. I'll give you this. Just leave me yeah. alone. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. But then later, so she actually, poor Anna Sage, because after all of this happened, she was deported anyway and she was murdered in Romania after no all of this. No way. Yeah. So that might have been part of the cover up is like, right? hey, you didn't give us the right guy. We're deporting you anyway. Yes. Well, that's where this other guy. So Martin Zar- Zarkowicz. I feel like I'm Charlie Day now. I'm just like, uh, like a vote. It's always funny. That meme of like, well, All here's these this strings. person. And here's this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah. So Martin Zarkowicz is, uh, was a Chicago PD officer. He was there that day. And so the mm-hmm. sort of the timeline that Nash is giving the, the crime writer He's basically saying that instead of this set of events that like, yeah, like I was saying, like, even as I was reading it, I was like, there are like kind of holes in this and like, yeah, oh, excuse me. I was like, it feels kind of vague and whatever. And Nash's description was like super on, like felt to me at least like everything connected, like everything was like, yeah, there's motive for all of these things. Like all Mm -hmm. it seemed like it kind of played out. Right. 
Um, so Martin Zarkowicz and Anna Sage, according to Nash, were employed by John Dillinger to start this whole shebang with okay. Melvin Purvis so that they would kill a person who, I mean, did consent apparently to die because this heart condition comes back into play later. That right. He actually was dying of this heart condition, this person. And he was just like, you know, hey, I'll take a bullet for you, literally. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, okay. he apparently got a couple thousand dollars for it. I assume it was like sent to family members, something Probably like, like that. Probably like, yeah, as like almost like a early form of a life insurance policy or something like that. Right, Just like, yeah. you know, hey, we'll, we'll pay you to die in my place. You know, you can yeah. use this to like give to your family to pay off debts or pay for your funeral right. costs. Actually, they wouldn't be the ones paying for his funeral costs if he's pretending to be John Dillinger. Yes, Interesting. actually. okay. So caught on because that comes back later too. And also, sorry, I was laughing about how, like life insurance and how instead of like having sustainable life insurance, like most of us don't like the idea of right. me just going out and being like, oh yeah, sure. When I come of age, I can just <laughs> die in someone else's place. Great. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, okay. So let me see if I can like pull all of this out. Cause it was like very detailed. Okay. Go ahead. Those two, so Martin Zarkowicz and Anna Sage, John Dillinger was like, hey, make sure that Melvin Purvis IDs this person as me. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, there was also this like whole side story of like in the actual history of John Dillinger where it was like Mm -hmm. John Dillinger got like a weird like plastic surgery on his face towards the end of his life. And like it was by a bartender. It was like at a bartender's (laughs) home in Chicago. And I was like, that feels weird. But it was like. In the story, it was, like, because he was being recognized so much, it was hard for him to go out, right. yada, yada. Did plastic so, surgery even, like, really exist in that time period? I truly don't know. And I also was like, what would they be doing? Like, is this, like, face-off? Like, right? <laughs> like what are you doing? Like, moving something? I don't, I, yeah, I did Nerf not know. or something? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. Um, so that kind of comes back a little bit later, too. Right, Okay. Um, so let's see, where are we here? Um, okay. So Zarkovich was at the other theater. Anna Sage came out of the biograph where Purvis was. Most of it happened according to, as everything said, but then Zarkovich was called over from the other theater by Purvis. Then Zarkovich was the one that shot, um, John Dillinger, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. So, Zarkowicz got $10,000 from John Dillinger and the reward money for mm-hmm. catching John Dillinger. That was all arranged too. And then um, because it was initially Purvis who threw Anna Sage, I deed him. Um, mm-hmm. It was on the FBI as the like identification for that led to him being killed. Okay. Um, and then, Oh, this was really great. Apparently, there were like over 20 bystanders, like 20 witnesses that heard Purvis as he was walking up to the body say something along the lines of like, oh, shit, that just doesn't look like Dillinger. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. So that was a lot. Yeah. So that, <laughs> yeah, that could be like why they covered it up, too, because they immediately re- recognized this is not our guy. Yeah. No, okay. exactly. And going back to... Uh, Hoover, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jager, Jager Hoover, and um, Purvis. So it was like all coming down from the top that, like, as his image was kind of changing from like, oh, this criminal who's like being sensationalized to, 
oh, this Robin Hood, who mm-hmm. you were totally right during the Great Depression, is like potentially sparing people their money. And like also in terms of like a story, you know, of being mm-hmm. like, you know, he's making money <laughs> off, right. you know, the backs of people who aren't being as affected by the Depression. I'm sure right. that yeah, like yeah, yeah. gave him a ton of cred. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Well, like people were really mad at the banks and the, the government at that point. Like, I mean, you know, the major bank rush is happening at the beginning of depression and like the banks oh. wouldn't give people their money because if they gave the money out to them, they couldn't sustain the bank. So yeah, people were really oh. mad at the banks at that point. So anybody that was stealing from banks was a hero, you know? Wow. Yeah. So that really would have turned public opinion yeah, for him. Absolutely. Wow. So that apparently was the moment when Hoover told Purvis and was like, this guy's becoming like a hero. You need to just get him. Like you need to get him out of here. Right. So that apparently is what, according to Nash, really spurred all of the, everything after that, like the little Bohemia, like Mm -hmm. that was, you know, the reason they were, I mean, not the reason, but part of the reason they were so trigger happy is that they were trying to get, they had such, to get rid of him. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and in terms of like, this is another part of the reason that I feel like the conspiracy theory could actually be true because it literally wouldn't be the first time they killed someone else instead of John Dillinger. Mm-hmm. Like that had already happened. Yeah. At that the... They had a history of that already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so basically Nash went through like every, like he just, the level of research that he went through, like he went on a journey with this. Oh boy. Like he, like, I really want to read his books now because he basically like, so this is kind of where it flips to like what he has like researched and thinks happened to John Dillinger mm-hmm. after the shooting. Okay. Um, and so he actually, this was wild. So there was a, um, a fellow quote unquote, a fellow bank robber of John, like a John Dillinger, like he wasn't in John Dillinger's gang, but he was, he was just a an accomplice. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, from, I think from a different part of the country, but his name was James Henry audit. Okay. And um, he was apparently a friend, knew Dillinger at least enough. Um, And I'm not sure exactly how Nash came to know about this, but when this guy, James Henry Audette, um, Audette, I'm not quite sure how to say his last name, but he Mm. was being released from prison because he was dying of cancer or somehow they, they figured it out. Basically, James Henry Audette was paroled into um Nash's the writer's like custody quote-unquote like as he was having these health problems towards the end of his life okay and so Nash basically just like interviewed him because of his connections to John Dillinger and according Mm -hmm. to James Henry Audette he said that he was the one that after the killing went to John Dillinger who was holed up in just like holed up waiting for it all to blow over and he went to him and was like it's done you're dead quote-unquote right and plan according to james henry audette was to take john dillinger to out to the menominee native american reservation in okay. oregon which is where one of his actual girlfriends was from okay hmm. um, so that was like kind of the idea but before they left they had to go through the whole like burial process which has another right. like host of reasons that people think that John Dillinger was actually around for that and not okay. dead. So what, they're um, saying that he went to his own funeral, basically? Kind oh of. So this gets okay. like, yeah, that's kind of wild. So he basically like, let's see. So they had the, the funeral. He was like interred um, 
I'm not sure if that's the right word. He was buried. Mm-hmm. Um, and after he was buried, his father came back and was like, no, no, no. Like I didn't have a great relationship with my son, but I don't want like, he's famous basically at this point. Like I don't mm-hmm. want people to like, they were literally putting their handkerchiefs in his blood. Like I don't want them to come try to like steal his body or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he basically had the cemetery. So my understanding is that there are actual cement burials sometimes where they put like mm-hmm. a layer of cement over like the top, I think to right. like kind of protect it. Yeah. This was like, not that, well, it kind of was that, but it was like that times a thousand. They like, oh. <laughs> they mixed like concrete, wire metal like all these intense things mix it all together and poured it like all around every single side oh my of god the okay <laughs> wow okay yeah i don't think they, they even like, did that i don't think they did that much to like elvis's body but okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> right it was like very intense and nash also was saying like he was like if you look into it dillinger's father couldn't even pay a 50 dollars embalming fee like a couple days before but mm. then like a couple days later he came back with money for like people to work this job like digger like all right. of this like concrete like, like this metal. whole elaborate burial wow yeah exactly okay this mm-hmm. whole huge setup and he paid for all of it happily and like sure people lie about their finances and whatever but like it's a little suspicious right but i mean why would you lie about not being able to embalm your son right and then and then literally like three days later turn around and be like i I couldn't afford to pay fifty dollars to embalm him but here's two hundred dollars to encase him in rebar and concrete (laughs) (laughs) yeah correct let's like withstand him from like a nuclear blast but like not embalm him (laughs) yeah so that was like another kind of thing that pointed towards it. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that the name, the actual name on the grave is John H. Dillinger Jr. Okay. And John Dillinger wasn't a junior. Like he just oh. wasn't a junior. And this is like a family plot that all of his family like. Right. So they would approved. have spelled it right. No, I love that. Like that was yeah. one of, cause like I, last season I covered the, you know, how, uh, speaking of Elvis, how Elvis isn't mm. dead. And apparently right. his yeah. gravestone is also, misspelled or misnamed. No way. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah. So it's like, that just seems to be like a common thing, I guess. It's like, oh, they faked their death. How can you tell? Well, their gravestone's wrong. I'll yeah. tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting because like in this at all was Nash was basically theorizing through Audette, this guy, James Henry Audette, that like that was his little joke of being like, it's not me. Like, oh, interesting. I'm literally telling you, but like actually don't figure it out. I don't want you to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Yeah. The actual and and so oh my god, I feel like I'm literally spinning out on this. It's so interesting. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> the other thing was that James Henry Audet said that he and Dillinger were actually there during all of that construction, and oh. that they were like on the back of the trucks and like actually helped at certain points. So they oh, were boy. like Dillinger, quote unquote, like buried himself. Buried himself. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Well, I guess he yeah. also would want to make sure that they're not just going to like dig him. Anybody could just dig him up and prove that it's not him. Yeah. If, if he's quote unquote encased in concrete and rebar, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's going to take a lot of effort to dig him up. And by then he can be long gone. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think that was exactly it. He felt like, and James Henry Audet was kind of saying the same thing of like, right. he felt like he had to close like he was trying to be like you need to get out of here asap and he was like yes but also i need to make sure that i want to make absolutely sure that this is 
you know, 100%, I'm going to have enough time to get away. Yes, exactly. Okay. So then, oh my gosh, sorry. I feel like this is so long, but I'm almost done. No, I love it. Like, okay, good. I mean, I I love history-based conspiracy theories. Like I took over the conspiracy portion of the podcast last season and mm. I think like 80% of my pod or my conspiracies were like steeped in history where I just had yeah. like six pages of just here's the history. And then like one page where mm, here's the conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it so makes so much sense because you mind. can like point back to it's like I, I kept right. getting mind blown because I was like, oh, my God, that was the thing like in the history that like, yeah. of course, it looks this way when yeah. you don't take into account these other things like you know oh my gosh so, yeah, so I love it I have no problem keep going oh okay great great great, great, great. we'll be here all night <laughs> just kidding just kidding I'm almost up um so meanwhile so while supposedly John Dillinger and James Henry Audit are doing this these nefarious but fun deeds of like mm-hmm. burying someone that's not um John Dillinger right right um so on the other side there were some shenanigans happening with the autopsy report mm-hmm. so his body quote his, well, his body mm-hmm. for the sake of you know whatever yeah. <laughs> the body was taken to because they're in chicago was taken to a hospital and then a lo- you know the local funeral home but mm-hmm. while it was in the coroner's office there i believe it was there because then it was yeah yeah i think it was there right. um the autopsy actually included all of the same things. So like, I think a lot of what the family members are describing in the the report that they sent or the, um, the request they sent to the um, Indianapolis department of health were potentially from this because apparently there was an original autopsy report that resurfaced that Nash like has from an autopsy oh, wow. or from a coroner who apparently he went to this coroner and he was like, Hey, so you're the coroner for John Dillinger. And the coroner was like, yeah, I don't usually keep records this long, but I knew someone would come back to ask for this one because it was so, like, you know, so crazy. It was so suspicious and crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So apparently initially the autopsy report included the eye color that the body had brown eyes. John Dillinger mm-hmm. had blue eyes. It included um, – uh, oh, so the scars that they mentioned. So the scars mm-hmm. were actually – John Dillinger had a lot of well-documented scars that he had gotten just, like, while – running from cops like he right had a lot yeah of, i can imagine like, yeah like bullet wounds that were like well known and because he mm-hmm. was so well known right um people knew about them and so this body didn't have any of those oh boy <laughs> right okay yeah, yeah those don't just miraculously vanish when you die right okay cool yeah your body actually stops healing itself when you die <laughs> right. yeah exactly so it's not yeah. scars aren't just gonna go away okay right yeah, yeah. So that was wild. And that was actually in the auto- the initial autopsy report that this coroner had. Okay. Um, yeah, scars are bullet wounds. Um, and the heart condition. So the heart condition, I remember this being like such a big thing when I first heard about this. Mm-hmm. So the heart condition initially, it doesn't sound like as big a deal as like anything else. But apparently this heart condition was so intense that this person was dying from it. And oh, wow. um, they had had it since childhood. And so John okay. Dillinger, like according to this coroner would not have like he played um he actually played like semi-professional baseball john dillinger oh he wouldn't have been able to do that with a severe heart condition definitely would not have been able to do that and also the coroner noted like we've all literally like seen and heard how he like like springfield jack like jumps yeah and like runs away from the cops like he would not have been able to do that with this wow. heart condition wow so, super wild yeah um Let's see. Oh, also, yeah, I remember this being like 
okay, like the body was actually shorter and heavier than John Dillinger as well. Like, so it was legitimately not- was not the same person. Yeah, it's just like every <laughs> single thing is like. There's <laughs> nothing there that makes this the same person at all. Yeah, they're like, actually, can you give us a list of like how he does look like John Dillinger? <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that was crazy. They also, so Nash also thinks that, um, in terms of conspiracy theory, that the sister that ID'd the body was actually his mom and she was protecting him. That of she course. Was right, right, right. Well, I mean, it sounds like even the father was in on it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it wouldn't be surprised if the parents were kind of in on it and we're like, we're just, we just want to let our son maybe turn over a new leaf and start over somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. And that actually goes to, so Nash also tracked down the last living member at the time of John Dillinger's gang. Mm-hmm. And he was, um, I think he met up with him after he had been released from prison. Like, yeah, I guess towards the end of his life, he was released from prison. This guy, Russell Clark, um, mm-hmm. and Nash had an interview with him. And apparently like he writes out the interview. It's like really interesting. Cause he basically was like, I think Nash already knew, but like he had to condense it from his books. So like, it okay, sounded right. like Nash was basically like kind of dangling information for, Clark to confirm or deny mm-hmm. Nash was kind of like so if I went to like Southern California could I maybe bump into John Dillinger and he doesn't really <laughs> say initially what tipped him off to that but then he says that part of the reason he thinks that is because Audrey John Dillinger's mom mm-hmm. go would go to Southern California like frequently even though she has no ties there at all which oh boy you know, you could yeah. just like Southern California, but... Right, but I mean, this is like in the days before like Disneyland and fun things to do in Southern California. Yeah. I mean, Hollywood was still really young at that point, so... Mm-hmm. Mm, very interesting. Yeah, and so mm. apparently Russell Clark kind of, in like a vague way, confirms it, but also gives him more specifics and is like, yeah, if you went to Puente, California... I mean, I'm not going to say like what, but like, yeah, like basically drops Puente, California. So then at the end of this article, Nash actually like has this like kind of badass, but also way too vague paragraph of like, so I went to Puente, California and I may or may not have met John Dillinger. Oh my God. Okay. Like the end. And then there's like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure I've driven through Puente, California too. Yeah. I don't even know where it is. Where is it? Oh, I mean, let me look it up real quick because I, I might be lying, but I'm pretty sure I've driven through it. Yeah, it's uh, it's like just east of L.A. Oh, my God. So I really yeah. should know about it. <laughs> I mean, it's like. Yeah, like it, it's it's in the L.A. area. Um, oh, my God. Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. Like La Puente. Well, maybe this isn't right because this is this is like saying that it's a city park. I, my, I don't know. It's some places are saying that it's like. Hang on, let me just, let me pull up the Wikipedia article. La Puente is a city in Los Angeles County. City had a population of 39,000 at the 2010 census and is approximately 20 miles east of downtown LA. Oh, okay. Oh, east. Sure. That's probably why I don't, I'm up in the valley. So I'm like a little bit the different direction, but But yeah, it's there in LA County. Wow. He was closer than I ever knew. (laughs) (laughs) He's right there in your backyard. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So the last little bit I have here is that back to the exhumation of the body. Mm -hmm. If we were all so excited about that, I know I was, um, the exhumation was actually supposed to take place last September, September 16th. It was like a really quick, like, yeah, you can do it. You can do it in a couple months. Like the department, um, the Indiana department of health was like, yep, sure. Okay. Yeah. 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 
the cemetery was like, um, no. And so they, I think, I think they technically sued or they blocked somehow they blocked it. Oh boy. And then it basically just got caught up in the court system. And so the family actually, and I have to think like, you know, legal fees are just so expensive. I think Mm -hmm. they just finally were like, we don't want to keep fighting this. We just wanted this. But like, so basically where it stands now is that it is, um, indefinitely on hold, sadly, Mm. But that the family could, um, all the news articles made a point to to kind of point out, like, the family could reopen this case at any point and keep fighting right. it. So. We should start a Kickstarter to raise Uh-oh. money for them to actually, like, beat the legal fees. Correct. That's exactly what Because <laughs> now I want to know. <laughs> I know, right? It's like, oh, I want that proof. Oh, Ugh. I need this. I need this. Mm-hmm. But that's fascinating. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Oh my God. No, I love that. Like I'm, I'm going to read those books. We should read the books and then like we can talk about them. Oh my God. John Dillinger book club. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, that's fascinating. No, I'm seriously going to look up those books and maybe I can find them on like a, like a ebook or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I'll send you the article too on Roger Ebert's blog. Like it just was such a fascinating read. And yeah, like I said, like I, I definitely tried to, I know like my spiraling ranting this episode does not indicate this, but I do try to be like very measured when I think about conspiracy theories. But this one, I'm like, I definitely think this could absolutely have happened. It's definitely feasible, you know, and that's, that's the thing, like we said before, it's like a lot of conspiracy theories, especially the ones with that much history behind them. They've got so much truth behind them that it's like, Mm -hmm. even if they're not real, they, there's no wonder why people believe in them, you know, because right. it, it, it presents itself very possibly. It's not like things like, you know, like I mentioned, like birds aren't real or the flat earth where it's like, it's right. very obviously this is just people being weird and uneducated and willfully ignorant. It's like a lot of these things, it's like there's enough evidence in there to make it very believable. So yeah, exactly. And when the only opposing side is the government and like yeah and they're def- known to hide things i work exactly. for the government <laughs> <laughs> so it's like they are they are yeah. known to hide things i mean <laughs> yeah. you know they didn't officially release records of ufos until this year but it's like we've known that right. they knew about them for yeah. decades and they only just announced it it's like yeah of course they hide stuff oh my you know. god i need to oh i think i forgot to say one thing sorry mm-hmm. i'm literally just taking no you're good thing um I, so the plastic surgery that i mentioned mm-hmm. um nash thinks that that was a story plant by the fbi that they were like so basically the fbi was then trying to cover up like you said right um, like it was a joint effort of like john dillinger trying to be like goodbye gotcha. but, and then the fbi basically was like, of course it doesn't look like him he had plastic exactly. surgery Yeah, so I looked it up while you were talking about it. Plastic surgery did exist in the 30s and 40s, but it was a very new practice. Like, they didn't actually form the National Association of Plastic Surgery until, like, the 1930s. And Hmm. it was still, like... Yeah, so it was, like, it was still very new practice. So if if he did have plastic surgery, it would have been very obvious plastic surgery. Interesting. And that would have been mentioned in the autopsy, probably. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, and then I also looked up the Little Bohemia Lodge is still around. Oh, no way. Let's go. Yeah, I looked it up. It's, I mean, you can go to their website, littlebohemialodge.com, and it is still there. Um, you know, you can eat in like the restaurant and stuff like that. They have a museum, a bar, and wow. like a diner and stuff like that. And yeah, you can, you can actually go visit that place. Wow. So, Does it sit, where in Wisconsin is it? Madison. 
Oh, no way. I love or, Wisconsin. Hang on. Uh, sorry. No, no. Manitowash Waters. Oh, Wisconsin. okay. I don't know where that is. I don't know why I thought Madison. But yeah, Manitowash, Wisconsin. Manitowash cool. Waters, Wisconsin. But it's interesting. It's it's still there. Yeah. So I kind of. Yeah, that is wild. Yeah. I would, I would go see that, you know, just oh, to be I would like, 100%. oh, hey, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I wonder, and I wonder too, like, especially because the owners were like so involved, I wonder mm-hmm. if they have any, like, you know, if they kind of kept, kept any some, record of that. Possibly, or, possibly. Let me, let me see. Or if they did the opposite thing. I find that like, you know, in terms of places, I feel right. like we've no, no, no. This place definitely embraces the history. Like, I mean, I'm oh, looking yeah? at it and it's like, it's like their whole like about us is like, you know, we were part of the, you know, botched <laughs> FBI thing on John Dillinger. So it's like, oh, no, they shit. they definitely embrace it. <laughs> They're leaning in, yeah. <laughs> they literally call themselves the famous Little Bohemia Lodge. And like oh, the background wow. is like wood with bullet holes with JD was here carved into it. So it's like, no, they they definitely embrace this. So, wow. So yeah, that would, that'd be really interesting to visit, but, um, so where can we find you and your podcast on social media and stuff that way, you know, people can go find you guys. Sure. Um, so we are, so paranormal captivity is paranormal pod on Twitter and Mm -hmm. paranormal captivity on Instagram. Okay. Um, I'm just ew gross everywhere. And, um, yeah, definitely shout out. And that's why we drink. I work for, and that's why we drink, um, love, love them. And yeah, that's ATWW podcast, uh, across all social media as well. Yeah. We've definitely mentioned Em and Christine many times on this podcast. So, cause they are, they are some of my favorites. So yes, they're so good. (laughs) I love them so much too. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but yeah, so thank you guys for listening. Um, I will be back on, September 1st, because this is August 15th when this comes out, um, with a a different friend of mine from another podcast. Uh, His podcast is called Fates of Aizen. It's a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. So he will be here with me on uh, September 1st for that episode. And he's an Australian. So we're going to have to like really work on when is a time when we can get to record. (laughs) And it'll probably be like really late at night here for me. But you know, Um, but yeah, so thank you guys for listening. And don't forget... Big Brother is watching. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Conspiracies and Cryptids with Sammy and Tessa. Don't forget to check out our website, www.conspiraciesencryptids.com, for more episodes and other information. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash cryptipod. That's C-R-Y-P-T-I-P-O-D. There you can find different ways to support us and get some awesome goodies along the way. While you're at it, you can also find us on all of your favorite social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's any one of those at Cryptopod. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please think about leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. Leave us five stars and a nice little blurb about why you like us. It helps us to gain some traction and find some new listeners and while you're at it don't forget to tell your friends because our friends are your friends (laughs) and don't forget big Big brother Brother is watching. watching